0: Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Welcome home. Hey church, I want to thank you uh, for last Sunday. You know that I couldn't be here and uh, your pastors asked me to speak months ago and I had already made arrangements and uh, was preaching down in Florida at a camp. And so we had this kid, Andrew Bertadotti, my intern Andy, and uh, he came back, he was like, man, those are good people. I was like, I told you, right? I told you. So thanks for being so sweet to him, and uh, I'm sure he was a blessing to you, and you were a huge blessing to him. And uh, God just has great things for Andy. God's got his hand on him, and uh, you can see why I'm so high on him, and I I really think the world of that kid. So we began last Let's see, so two Sundays ago, we began a new series, and so if you weren't here the Sunday, uh, let's see, that was the 19th, whatever, in July, a couple of weeks ago, we started a new series. You remember, it was on Ecclesiastes, right? And so we're going to be continuing this series, and just to catch you up, I'm calling it The Quest, a series on the book of Ecclesiastes, the idea being that... that uh, The the author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, he's like the preacher, the teacher, and Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, calls him the quester. Someone who wants to find out the big answers to life. What is the meaning of life? And where we left you, you know, a couple weeks ago, we we went through Ecclesiastes 1, and I'm so glad that you came back. I had this kind of image of, you know, soda cans all over the floor, you're covered in Dorito crumbs. What's the point? Doesn't matter, Pastor Thompson is all futile, I'm not going, but you came back and you're here, and uh, if you weren't here, you know that the philosophy professor, this quester, he's teaching us to kind of take our, you know, take our meaning of life. What what is it that your philosophy of life? And we looked at hedonism, we looked at uh, humanism, and ask yourself, what is the logical conclusion of your philosophy of life? And is it going to get you where you want to go? I saw a sign in a church, you know, these church signs at Graffiti Baptist in uh, the Lower East Side of Manhattan. It's one of my favorite churches to go, and they have this homeless ministry they do every Saturday. And I go by, and they're always changing their church signs, and I walk by, and this time it said, it was a little question from God, it was in quotations, and it simply said, "Will, will the road you're on get you to my house? Love God. You know? And everybody's walking by that. That, that. That's what Ecclesiastes is saying. Is saying He's saying, hey, is the philosophy of life. Okay, you're a humanist. And so your philosophy of life is the meaning of everything. There is meaning. It's just, it's just leave the world a better place. And Solomon in Ecclesiastes 1 goes, really? Really? And if you weren't here, go back and listen to the podcast. He just demolishes that, just like any good professor, just by asking questions. Just by pressing on that. Really? Really? You're, you're, you came from nothing you're going, they're going to they're paint you up and put, paint you and put you in the ground. And you came from nothing, you're going into the abyss. But in your short time here on earth, you're going to work for rights? Like, you're going to try to improve this place? Come on, you, you call Christians naive? Like that? And, or, or hedonism, you know, I'm just going to fill my life up with pleasure. That's what's going to do Really? And so Ecclesiastes 1, he demolishes these things. And he ends by saying, listen, if all we have is what's under the sun. That's why he keeps saying everything is meaningless under the sun. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you know, the point is, the point he's making is, if all we have is what's under the sun, then it's just eat, drink, be merry. It's absolutely meaningless. It's meaningless. And the point of Ecclesiastes is to force us to look beyond the sun. Look to the one who's more ancient than the sun. Look to the one who made the sun. And life beyond the sun means what? It means everything is shot through with meaning. Because we're going to be here a billion years from now, that conversation you're going to have on Monday, it does mean something. That work you're doing, life is either meaningless if it, all there is is what's under the sun, or it is shot through with eternal glory. Earth is crammed with heaven if what we're living for is actually that which is beyond the sun. That's his point. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, you're, you're not going to find what you're looking for under the sun. You've got to look beyond Then, in chapter 2, he does something that most professors can't do. He starts out and states his sort of, you know, premise that this life is never going to fulfill you. And most professors can say that, but this professor is different. He has the resources to actually go out and try it. No professor can do that. Maybe Professor X from the X-Men. Other than him... No professor can do what he's about to do. So let's get to work. Let's go right into Ecclesiastes 2. And I call this the grand experiment. He, Solomon's going to say, Listen, nothing you're going to find under the sun is going to grant you ultimate fulfillment. Most people can say it. He can then go and actually try it out. And so what we have in Ecclesiastes 2 is a catalog of him just, Solomon, just trying it out. So, so here we go. I said to myself, Verse 1, go ahead, self. <laughs> I will test you with, he starts with, pleasure. Enjoy what is good. Did that work? No, it turned out to be futile, right? I said about laughter, it's madness, and and about pleasure, what does this accomplish? I explored with my mind how to let my body enjoy life with wine, and how to grasp folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom until I could see what is good for people to do, under heaven during the few days of their lives. Verses 1 through 3, Solomon starts out where a lot of young people start out. The meaning of life, live, laugh, love. Then buy the t-shirt, you know, and tell the world it's about live, laugh, love, man. Life is a Jimmy Buffett concert. And the point of life is to end up on some beach and just party. So he starts out, this is Solomon gone wild. To say, and a lot of people are thinking like, okay, so he partied. All right, that's cool. And a lot of people think that. If I could get more pleasure in my life, if I could inject it with with some happiness, right? And so I'm going to try out the party scene. Now, you may be skeptical. You may say, well, this is an ancient king in Israel. Sure, he partied. But did he partay? I can answer that question. See, and, and I give credit to Matt Chandler for digging some of this up. A lot of people are bored by some of the history books in the Old Testament, First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, First, Second Chronicles, where they go into all this detail, and you wonder why. The reason it's in there is for moments like this. First Kings, for example, gives in chapter four. It actually gives a list of what the king needed, what Solomon needed to throw one of these parties. So here we go. And you wonder, as you're reading it, what's that in here for? So, you, so he could show you. He's not just messing around. This is what he needed. This is one day. At a party he was throwing, this would be for one day. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour. For those of you who are metric, he's uh, <laughs> like, 30 cores? That's over 50 omers. And an efap. I don't know. That's... <laughs> Alright, that's 220 liters, I know that still doesn't help any of us, but that's 200, the, the commentary is British, it's the best I can do, that's 220 liters of fine flour, 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen, in metric that's 10 fat oxen, 20 pasture fed cattle, I love it, this is 3,000 years ago, they're like, no GMOs, right, like they're there's st- still a thing. A hundred sheep, right? One got away, but the shepherd found it and slaughtered it. Besi- deer, for those of you into wild game, gazelles, roebucks. Anybody know what a roebuck is? Uh, Sears is involved. Oh, you do? Oh, okay. I didn't know. And my favorite, fat and fowl. Now, fat and fowl. I didn't know what a roebuck was. I've never eaten a gazelle, but fat and fowl. Down south, that's fried chicken. That's all that is. <laughs> it is. It, that's a little yard bird. Just deep fried, and can, the guy from Kentucky knows all about that. So here you have Solomon throwing a feast they can feed, and every commentary I read gave the same numbers, between fifteen and 20,000 people. So that little barbecue you threw, right? You were, oh, that little, that little bring your own meat thing you had in your backyard where everybody, you thought, man, you thought you did it right. Solomon is laughing at you, man. That little soiree. So the, some of you, the biggest party you ever threw in your life. Was your wedding reception? And I won't go into which culture is completely overdoing weddings right now and inviting way too many people, and it's just chaos. I'll let you guys you know, decide that for yourself. Uh, my, I'll tell you, my church is mostly the thing that's predominant is an Indian church. And th- 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 anyway, uh, it's like a thousand people? Oh, you had a small wedding. All right. So you, you've thrown that, and, and, and listen, you, I mean, like at your wedding, you would tell the DJ, play cold you know, play. Coldplay. Solomon would just buy Coldplay and just be like, You're playing the palace now, right? That's it. You understand? Uh, so, in the midst of all this, notice verse 3 My mind's still guiding me with wisdom. Do you see that? In other words, he's saying, I'm still in experiment mode. He didn't get so caught up in it that he lost his mind. And what happened? It's all folly. You know, it's madness. What, what does this really accomplish? And what happened to Solomon that he actually experimented, and you don't have to go out and try to say, well, I'm going to top that. You know, I'm going to do better than that. It's already been done, all right? This experiment's already been done. It's not for you to try to recreate. Just learn from the Word, okay? And as you learn from it, what he's going to tell you, many of you have experienced this. You didn't didn't have Solomon growing up, so you said, well, I'm going to have to find this. And you found out the same thing Solomon did. It ends up nowhere. Eventually, you know what happens? It just sort of loses its luster. I mean, he only party so much. Solomon eventually gets tired of waking up at 11 every day with a hangover in the back of his chariot with a new tattoo from that wild night in the Sea of Galilee, right? And he's going, enough, right? So what does he do? Well, he says, all right, there's no fulfillment in this. I got I to gotta make something of my life. Life is short, and, and I'm realizing, as he comes to the end of the party scene, he realizes... No, no, no. And this is, this is kind of he's following the stages of life. A lot of people, this happens. Then as they, they, they say, i got to settle down. i got to get some achievements. You know what? i got to build some stuff. i gotta, I got to make something of myself. And so that's what he does. Look at verse 4. I increased my achievements. Now, that's an understatement. In other words, he's saying, you know, life's about, i gotta, I got to do something permanent. And so I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. And you might think, oh, you know, uh, that's cool. He built a house. A lot of people have done that. I don't think you understand the scale. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs of water for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. You need to get an idea of the kind of house we're talking about here so the temple you remember david wasn't allowed to build the temple he said that's for your son to do solomon built the temple the temple took seven years to build it was ornate gold precious stones right seven it was one of the ancient wonders of the world solomon's house in comparison took 14 years to build Not only does he build himself a house, he builds houses for all his wives, which is an event in itself. We'll get to that later on. So he builds these homes, and he gets this sense of pride. You know, I did that. You know, and a lot of people tell me, uh, oh, you know, um, uh, uh, people who are homeowners tell me there is a sense of accomplishment. There is a sense of pride. You know, you mow your lawn, you sit down, you look at it, you think, I did that. It's better than just, you know, sort of aimlessly party. And sure, but does it really fulfill, does it provide ultimate fulfillment? I mean, Solomon, when he goes out and builds these parks, you can go to this day, the the pools of Siloam, right? You can see these irrigate; they're still there to this day. You went out, and Solomon's like, oh, I love what what you did with the crepe myrtles. Yeah, (laughs) I planted a national forest, you understand? Unless what you're building has the word national in front of it, you've not come near to what's, oh, you built a 10-bedroom house? That's awesome, that's one of my bedrooms for my 400th wife. You know, like, you're not even... You're not even close. He went all out, just like he does all these things. He's trying to show that whatever, a lot of people think, if I could just get more, if I could just get more. He's saying, I, I maxed out on the more, and it's not there. These huge cavernous holes in the earth filled with water, irrigation. Yeah, it's great. It's, maybe it's better than just sort of mindless pleasure, but it's still not providing that ultimacy. So you say, well, all right, what he needs to do now that he's got this empire, he needs to sit back and enjoy life. Well, okay. I acquired male and female servants. I had slaves who were born in my house. I owned many herds of cattle and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Right? The power, the wealth. And then he talks about the, the love and the, the, the uh, sexual f- fantasies. I also amassed silver, gold for myself, the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and many concubines, the delights of men. You know? He, he wants to enjoy all he's built, so he has this empire. He's got servants. He's got servants who serve the servants. He's got all these people. And what he's doing is he's trying to secure his legacy. In other words, he's trying to say, well, if I could get enough cattle and livestock more than anyone who's gone before, and the whole deal about servants who were born in the household, it means he's set. It means at this point it's become monopoly money. In other words, if, a lot of people think, if I could just be set, if I could just have enough, I'd be secure. And Solomon's saying, I got to that point. In other words, imagine if you had so much wealth that you could just park it and the interest alone would be more than enough you need to live on. He's saying, that's where I got to that point. I got, it's self-perpetuating at this point. I've got enough servants are now born in my household. I've got, I've got all this excess, right? And so he just wants to enjoy it. He's got the best entertainment. That's the whole deal about male and female singers, many concubines. Solomon was infamous for that. We might as well talk about it. You know, he had a 700 wives and 300 concubines. I mean, that's just a nonsense number, right? It's not even... It's, I mean, wh- who's the biggest party animal over the last 50 years? You'd say Hugh Hefner. What has he got, like six girlfriends? Solomon's like, I married six wives on Tuesday. Like you, <laughs> that's not impressive, you know? And then he hits you with this. So, you know, you see what he's saying? He's saying, I, I did it. If you've got a fantasy, I, I, you know, I did that. I, 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 whatever, whether it's music or whether it's food or whether it's, you know... Been there, done that. You understand what he's saying? My mind's still guiding me with wisdom. Whatever you think you need more of, I've been there. And then he said, this is a great understatement. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. What he's saying is, uh, basically, I was popular. I'd say so. You got 10,000 people drunk for a decade. Like, you know, you're bringing in these wild parties. Yeah. And he says, that's it. And, And here's the deal. My wisdom was remaining with me. In other words, I I wasn't just losing my mind, going crazy with this stuff. I really was in experiment mode. Then he switches gears, because a lot of people would say, well, you know, yeah, but, you know, surely there was something he didn't have. No, all that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure. And this is what's interesting. I took pleasure in all my struggles. In other words, building that national forest was hard, but I like, I enjoyed it, you know. And and, and and trying to amass this great legacy, it was tough, but I kind of enjoyed it. Some of you know know what I mean by that. Maybe in a small way, you you know it was you you set out to build your own computer, and you built it, and the, and the fun part was actually building it. Now it's up and running. You're like, yeah, you know, whatever, right? Or or you, you set to restore that old you know '67 Chevy, and that was the fun part was restoring it. Now it's kind of, like, eh, kind of wash it all the time, you know, whatever. Or or maybe it could be a little thing like you know you set out to to kind of build some portion of your house, or you put on this extension, and there was some sort of, but here's the thing, this, that was it, this was my reward for all my struggles, at the end it's like, well, I'm, I'm not like all that much happier now, I don't notice, I don't, you know, I don't feel like, oh yeah, that did it, now I'm, now I'm great, some people, they're single, and that's what happened, I mean, they're single, and instead of hearing from the church, hey, wow, you're single, how are you stewarding your singleness, do you feel maybe you've been given the gift? of singleness, and God's going to use that singleness for His glory all life. Instead, they hear from preachers like me, Oh, well, we'll pray for you, you know, right? That's insane, you know? That is absolutely crazy. Well, I guess, you know, you can't really live a fulfilled life as a Christian unless you're married. I mean, except for, you know, Paul, or I'll tell you another one, Jesus. Like, you, you know, <laughs> give me a break, right? And so you have this gift of singleness, it's a great gift. But my point is simply this. They hear that and then they go, what, would, what I need is to get married. And they get married and marriage is awesome. But what? But it's not ultimate. See, so they get married and they go, Marriage is great, but it doesn't ultimately fulfill me. I say, Well, you know, that's good. He's saying, What? And this is important. Let's just sum all this up. You get the point. He's saying I enjoyed all this stuff in the moment, but that was it. That was the reward. Remember, we're talking about profit. If you if you think back to a couple weeks ago when we started, I said the controlling question of the book of Ecclesiastes. If you weren't here, I'll tell you. Tim Keller says the book of Ecclesiastes is so different than other Bible books. It's not a book of answers. See, so much of the Bible is answers. Galatians, he's answering the charge of the false teachers. And Ephesians, all these answers. And Luke, here are answers, my dearest you know, friend, about what you asked me about, all the things Jesus did. And so here are the answers for that. Ecclesiastes is not a book of answers. It's a book of questions. Say, so what about this? Would this fulfill? What about this? Tim Keller says, in the 66 books of the canon of the, of the Bible, he said you should actually take Ecclesiastes, pull it out of the binding, and instead put it in the front. And then you open up with, is there any meaning? Is there a God? Is, does, does life matter? Is it all vanity? Is anything out there? And then you turn the page. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens. And the rest of the Bible provides the answers that this guy's trying to raise. And the controlling question, if you think back, was chapter 1, verse 3, which is, what is the, re- what is the profit? That's that word reward. It comes up again. What, is, what does a man gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? Do you remember this? We talked about this. What do you get at the end of all? Oh, some of you are working so hard. You go, what, do, what is the profit? Some of you discovered this. At, you, know, you got some crazy diagnosis of some health thing, and like, like a lightning bolt from heaven, you were like, what am I doing with my life? Others of you discovered the truth of Ecclesiastes 1.3 through laundry. <laughs> what do I gain from all this toil, right? It's the same thing. The more you do laundry, guess what it produces? More laundry, right? So whether it's a cataclysmic way or a simple way, everybody gets the truth of Ecclesiastes. What's the profit? Now, I'm not a businessman, but we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. profit is defined as gross revenues minus expenses. Equals profit, and that's what he's saying. Hey, I got some good. Look, I got some pleasure in my struggle. Okay, there was some revenue to that, but when I think about what I put into it, I ended up. What's he say? Nada, nothing. Let's 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 take stock of the profit. Here we go. When I considered, all right, let, let's add up all that I got out of everything. But then, minus when I considered all that I had accomplished, that's the gross revenue, and what I had labored to achieve, that's the expense. That's what I poured poured into it what does that equal revenue minus expenses everything's futile and a pursuit of the wind nothing to be gained under the sun come right back thus it is proven what he states in chapter one is if all there is is life under this sun i'm telling you you can put in all this stuff whether you go for pleasure whether you go for the building phase whether you go for the enjoyment phase it's not going to happen you're going to end up with nothing nothing under the sun. Here's why this is so important for us. I I think you'll already see it, but here's why this is so important. For many of us, what we say is, if I could just get a little more, if I could just get a little bigger, and you know, they threw that party, and it was good at first, and that was Monday, and the barbecue was, I mean, I mean, the fatted calf, and the fried chicken, and all this stuff, and that was good, and then Tuesday, they said, we got to do it a little bigger, and then Wednesday, they did a little bigger, and Thursday, they were like, this band is great, he flew in the comedians, right, laughter and folly, and by Friday, they're like, this is great, but it's kind of like, we it's played out, you know, I mean, I, th- that was a really great concert, but I don't want to go, you know, U2's playing the city right now, but you don't want to go, like, ten straight U2 con- even the greatest band, whatever. You get what I'm saying? It's like, it's played out. So we got to do it bigger. So they try to do it bigger, and eventually, like, we've kind of reached the end. And so we think, well, what i got to do is sit back and enjoy it. He sort of runs out of fantasies. He runs out of mountains to climb. He's done it, and he's saying, I'm back to the same place before I ever, right where I started. You know, I, was, uh, I am not a uh, psychologist, certainly not trained in that and some of you may be, I'm kind of like a, like a Wikipedia psychologist. You know what I mean? I just read stuff, and then I go to Wikipedia and kind of, oh, that's interesting. So I don't, whatever. You know more about this than I do. But I was reading along, and John Ortberg in this book, he, he, called, he, he pulled out something I'd never heard before. He calls it hedonic adaption. So I was like, that's a big word. Let me Google that. You know, uh, book Googling is when you look it up in a dictionary. You got to book Google that one. Uh, but anyway, hedonic adaption, and I look it up, and apparently the idea is, we all do it, we all get it, we just didn't think we. it. Hedonic adaption is this, when you get used to a certain level of pleasure, it's no longer pleasurable. So when you lived as a bachelor in this single, like, studio apartment dump, you're sitting there going, playing, you know, Xbox, going, life is awesome, Doritos, blah, blah. life is awesome, right, you know? Because you didn't know any better. And then once you, you know, get married and eat real food that humans can eat, and, uh, and you live in like a three-bedroom apartment, suddenly like I could never go back. But at the time, you loved it. Everybody with me? Like some of you carry around this thing called a smartphone. You could not go back. I could prove it. I could take your smartphone for the next hour, and you'd be like, I'd rather you take my left arm, right? <laughs> because you can't. Why? How, let me ask you a question. How did anybody get picked up at the airport before cell phones? I'll just drive around. I hope there's a plane. I'll send a smoke signal if it's late. I, you, you couldn't. Nobody, you had to get it. There was an intercom involved. I think passenger pigeons were somehow involved. No one knows. No one knows. What about this? What about this? I got this, I got this car, and when the winter came, I, I never thought about this. I, it, like, it never occurred to me. But you press this button, and the seats, there's actual seat warmers. Yeah, Yeah, and I'm going, this is ridiculous. This guy tried to sell me on a seat warmer. I turn it on, I'm like, "Uh, oh. (laughs) I never knew that my my buns needed to be, you know, properly warmed in the winter. Here's the thing: that is a joke. I mean, my grandparents were like, oh yeah, we had seat warmers. It was called the Oregon Trail. It was an ox. We actually, you know, when he would get sweaty, oh right. But listen. That now you can't live without it and now the next thing and some of you I'm about to step on some toes because some of you actually have this but I was in a car where they not only had seat warmers they had little air conditioning little seat coolers <laughs> and so you get too warm oh let me cool it down so you can just find you go who in the world that is ridiculous that is nonsense and a buddy of mine has this new Audi and he said come take a ride with me I said this is ridiculous I'm making fun of him I'm going all Micah I'm like there are starving people and he turns it on I'm like there are starving people who somebody should really help because these are glorious so I became you know everybody understand what I'm saying Hedonic adaption has happened to Solomon. And he's saying, it's going to happen to you. And what you think is, if I could just get more, if I could just get a little more, the grass is greener on the other side. And Solomon's saying, I bought the other side. I bought the whole field. I have servants that water the grass. I own the fence. It's not greener on the other side. What you, More stuff is not going to make you happy because happiness is not and has never been contingent on stuff. So, if you're not happy with the stuff you have now, you could get more of whatever. And I'm not just talking about stuff. I'm not just talking about seat warmers. I'm talking about that promotion. I'm talking about that relationship. It's not going to happen. And some of you are like, I could have told you that. I could have told you that. Pleasure, worldly things. It's the mind. And you're here and you're a scholar. And you're saying, it's, it's what? You don't need all that. It's, happiness is found. I see it on the subway. Looking for true happiness? It's an advertisement for a philosophy club that meets in Manhattan. It's the mind. Well, I did that too. I turned to consider wisdom, and I love this, and madness and folly, just in case. Because what if, you know what I mean? He's like, I don't want to miss out here. That's pretty smart, actually, because what if the people that we think are crazy fools, what if they're the ones who have it all together? Don't you have some weird cousin like that who's always got some conspiracy theory? He shows up at family reunions with a tinfoil hat going, everybody else is crazy, right? Solomon's going, hey, he might be right. He puts on the tinfoil hat. Tell me more. <laughs> UFOs? flew Kennedy? All right. Talk to me, Elvis. You understand? So he does both. He does both. Some of you are like, I am that cousin and I, re- <laughs> I resent. You were listening in last week, the CIA. But just in case, I'll consider both wisdom and madness and folly. I just want to know. And he says, and, and, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. But he says, well, for what will the man be like who comes after the king? He'll do what's already been done. And I realize, now watch this. You're actually on the right track. You just don't get all the way to the destination. You're correct. There is an advantage to wisdom over folly. Did everybody hear me say that? He's like, you're right. Something. It's not everything's meaningless. There's a scale. There's a scale, and if you're a person who's just a straight hedonist, just getting drunk every night, hey, let's upgrade to this, at least, okay? Well, uh, uh, wisdom is over folly, and it's the same way that light is better than darkness, okay? Well, why? The wise man has eyes in his head, and the fool's walking around in darkness. So there is an upgrade, and one fate comes to them both. Ah, wow, this guy's really wise. This guy's foolish. Wow, 2,000 years from now, they're in the grave, see? Both dead. You say, oh, wow, that's really great, you know? So he says, okay, it it is wiser, but look, what happens to the fool is going to happen to me. Why then have I been overly wise? It starts to dawn on him, and I said, wait a minute, this also is futile. For just like the fool, there's no lasting remembrance of the wise man, since in the days to come, both will be forgotten. Hey, how is it that the wise man dies just like the fool? So, therefore, I hated life. He goes into despair. Do You think, man, if I get really smart, then I'll see the world for what it is. That'll make me happy. No. If you start to see the world for what it is, you, if you want to be happy, don't watch the news. Be ignorant. Because the more you see and the more you know, he gets into despair. I hated life. The work that was done under the sun. For, it was distressing. For everything is futile and a pursuit of the wind. There it is. Under, if, if all there is is life under the sun, in other words, if there's no God, there's no heaven... The world that John Lennon created in Imagine is exactly the world that Ecclesiastes is going after, full bore. Yeah, okay, imagine all that. And Solomon's going, I didn't have to imagine it. I actually lived it. And I'm telling you, futility, chasing after the wind. Okay, well, what about a leg? Some people would say, all right, all right, all right. So it's not all these worldly pleasures. It's not wisdom. It's about a legacy. It's about what you leave behind. He's like, "Let, let me talk about that. I hated all my work that I had labored under the sun. Why? Because I have to leave it to the man who comes after me. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, who knows whether he'll be a wise man or a fool? And yet he's going to take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. So I began to give myself over to despair. He starts to going into despair over all my work that I had labored at under the sun. When there's a man whose work was done with wisdom and knowledge and skill, okay, me, and he has to give his portion to a man who's not worth for it, this too is futile. And quite frankly, it's unjust. It's a great wrong. Any of you ever felt this way? You work hard? I mean, some of you learned this in school early on. There was this new, new thing called group work. And you would do these group projects. And very early you realized, I could really work hard and end up with the exact same grade as the deadbeat slackers that are in my group. They're going to end up with the same grade. That's not just. He saying, I've built all this stuff. And he asked the question, who knows? The man that comes after me, whether he's wise or a fool. For us, it's not a rhetorical question. We know, we know whether the man who comes after him will be wise or a fool. We know him. His name is Rehoboam. Fool. Rehoboam. Do you guys realize this? Solomon. Rehoboam managed to lose, and Rehoboam was one of the best. There was about to be a downward spiral. Jehoiakim. Well, don't even talk. Ahaz. You're know with me. Mean? I mean, it it got bad. Rehoboam managed to lose in one kingship ten twelfths. That's (laughs) five-sixths. Ten twelfths of what Solomon built up. There's there's twelve tribes of Israel. He managed to somehow split apart and lose ten twelfths of what Solomon had built this is the one who comes after me. because goes, this isn't right. You see why there's utter hopelessness. You see why there's utter despair. At the end of this, you just say, you know what? You know what? You're right. It's not, ultimate meaning is not found in pleasure. It's not found in all these worldly pleasures. It's not found in academic learning and knowledge and wisdom. The wisdom's better than just getting, you know, partying every night. And, and it's not ultimately found in all these achievements or in building this up because the legacy. So, you know what? All I want, all I want, it's just the. Clear, conscious, and a good night's sleep. I'm just going to boil it down. And some of you, man, that's all you want. Herschel Walker was once asked, what's the most important thing in life? And he said, when your head hits the pillow, to have a good conscience, to be at peace, and get that good night's sleep. And I agree with him. That is so important. Solomon says, yeah, I wish. What does a man get with all his labors and efforts that he labors at under the sun? For with all his, all his days are filled with grief, and his occupation is sorrowful. But even at night, his mind doesn't rest. This too is futile. Don't you see the utter despair and the utter hopelessness? Here's why this is so applicable to us today. You are convinced that the reason your mind is racing so much, and the reason you can't sleep at night, and the reason you have such, you know, you're so distraught, is because you don't have, you're not set. You don't have a house. And your house, the the mortgage, you don't know how you're gonna knock it out next month. It's scary. You've got this massive debt. And you're, you're telling yourself, right? You're telling yourself, if I could get that. My relationship is so up in the air, and if I could get her to forgive me, and if I, and if I could forgive him, and if all that stuff, if I could just get more of what I had, then my, all these circumstances, if I could just upgrade them, if I could just tweak them, then I'd have the good night's sleep. Solomon's going, whatever you're trying to tweak to, that, that's where I'm at. I've got, I've got the wise. I've got, I've, got the, I've got the relationship on lockdown. I've got the friends. I've got the music. I've got all the money. Talk about money. M- my money. If anybody should be able to sleep at night. I've got wisdom. I've got a, I've, I'm, I'm the king in Jerusalem. I've got all the power. If anybody is secure under the sun, it's me. And you know what I can't get? A good night's sleep. I, I know you're striving for that stuff. And he's saying it's not going to get you what you want. There's, such, there's like a thirst in us. Ten years ago, you had a life plan. Now, 10 years ago, some of you were in college. 10 years ago, some of you were, were hitting retirement. Some, some of you, 10 years ago, you were, you were a teenager maybe. But you thought, you you had this thing where if I could only, right? So if I could only get that degree, if I could get that promotion, ooh, marriage. If I could get that locked down, if I could get that taken care of, a kid. You had this life plan, a house, a yard, a good education, better job, more secure. And 10 years ago, you set out to accomplish that. And knowingly or unknowingly, somewhere along the line, here's the thing. You've been crossing off those goals. And you don't even notice. You're not happier. At no point are you like, and now I have arrived I don't meet anybody like that hey man how you doing (sighs) are you kidding three years ago to this day I arrived just been kind of riding that wave right nobody does that because you're on this treadmill and by the time you got there there's a new goal in place you know why golf is wretchedly wretchedly awful for me Because here's what you do. You say to yourself, if I could just hit it straight, I don't care how far it goes, if I could just, I don't care if it goes 10 yards, if I could just, please, Lord, just let me hit one straight. That's all I ask, just hit it straight. And you hit it, and by some grace of God, it goes straight. And when you get up there, you know what you say? Instead of going, I did it, I did it, I hit it straight, goal achieved. You know what you say, the first thing? Wish I'd gone 20 yards further. Like, you just set a goal, you hit that goal, and you immediately beat yourself up because there's already a future goal. That's how your life is. Well, I could just get that job. You have that job, right? You just just got that. Well, you got that now. And it's a treadmill. And what happens is we start to buy into this philosophy of life that says what we need to make us finally and forever happy is more of something we already have. Just more. And he's saying there's nowhere under the sun to get it. There's nothing else to own under the sun. I've done it. It's meaningless. It's vapor. It's futile. And it's vanity. Now. We have had, as human beings, we have had access to the book of Ecclesiastes for 3,000 years. So surely, we are not so naive as to think that if we could just get a little bit more under the sun, that we will be granted fulfillment. I mean, surely, right? Surely this philosophy would not be prevalent in America. I mean, we're very smart people, right? We are very progressive people. Surely, you would say, after 3,000 years, we all get this. Haven't we graduated from this, that everything we need is not going to be found under the sun? That's what you'd think, right? And yet, As I was preparing this message about three weeks ago, I found myself I happened to be eating a bag of Lay's potato chip bag Lay's potato chip well the whole bag to be fair. Why? Because I denied my hand no pleasure. (laughs) Okay? And as I'm thinking about Ecclesiastes, Lord, how can I illustrate this? How can I illustrate that everything under the sun is futile, and yet we're still trying to go after that as if that's what we'll capture. And as I'm eating the bag of Lay's potato chip bag, grease everywhere, I turn it around, and like an angel from heaven, this is what he dropped in my lap, and I just took a photo of it. Because you, what, will you just read this with me? This is a sweet, you can't make this up. Let's all read it together. Lay says that you could win, say it with me, Everything under the sun. I'm like, God, are you kidding? I'm just like, forgive us, God. We are terrible people. We never learn. We've had access for 3,000 years. And I cut off the nutrition facts because there is none. You don't even know. There is no... But that's it, and it's so simple. You could have it, and so many people will sign up for that because to this day, and here's the thing, there is nowhere else to go under the sun. And in fact, Solomon was more miserable than you and I. You know why? Because at least we can still have the fantasy. At least we can still say, well, but I haven't tried everything. Here's a guy who has, and going, you don't even, I don't even cling to that dream anymore. I've tried it all, and I'm wretchedly miserable. If all there is under the sun is all there is, we are greatly, greatly to be pitied. i gotta, I got to ask, why. Why? why? why would God arrange stuff this way? I mean, why would God do this? Why would God leave out? If everything under the sun leaves us empty, why would a loving God do that? Why would he, why would he do that? And to answer that question, I have to borrow from next week. I mean, why would he do this? There's nothing better for a man to eat, drink, enjoy his work. Something I'm going to borrow from next week. Ecclesiastes 3.11. He says, God has placed eternity into the heart of man. And you start to see where I'm going. Matt Chandler calls it the groove. Uh, uh, you know, however you look at it. The, the, the idea that for all of us, God has reminded us of something. That there is life beyond the sun. And the reason he's left us empty with everything under the sun... Is so that we'll be forced. I mean, there's two ways you can go with this message. You can either go into abject despair, or it can drive you to do what the book of Ecclesiastes is supposed to do, to look beyond the sun. And that's what, it's like there's this, uh, uh, well, okay, uh, what's his name? Philip Yancey has this great quote. He was watching a post, very (laughs) post-Christian European film, and they were in this setting where everything was, you know, God was just not even assumed, totally secular human, and this guy, this one guy has this dynamite line. The actor says, if there is no God, and there never was a God, why do we miss him so much? Why is there this longing for transcendence? I'm not talking about Christian people, I'm talking about lost people, Christian people, every kind of people. Why is there this longing for transcendence? A good friend of mine, C.S. Lewis, says it this way, and I know James Lecce has no doubt read to you this quote: Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for these desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, good, there's such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. The reason... and Actually, I heard James tell me this, too. I don't remember remember where you read it, James, but it's always stuck with me. Uh, He and I were having lunch one time at Panera Bread. Ironically, sorry about the gluten. I didn't know for years. I would take him out to Panera Bread, and he's like, I can eat nothing here. Uh, (laughs) But he was so, I mean, it's it's such grace, you know. But at Panera Bread, I'd always been talking about how there's a God-shaped hole inside of us, right? A God-shaped hole. And the reason nothing else works is it's the wrong quality of stuff. Money won't, money doesn't fit it. You know, it's like those child's toys where you have to put in the shape the right way. Only God fits this hole inside of everything. And James corrected me, and I've always used this. I've borrowed it from him, and I've used it everywhere. He says, no, Tom, we don't have a God-shaped hole inside of us. We have an infinite chasm, like, abyss. It's a bottomless pit. And the reason nothing fits that groove, that hole, is not because it's the wrong quantity. It's because it's finite. It's finite. You can throw all the money you want into your bottomless pit. Let me tell you, if you fall in a bottomless pit, you actually die of starvation. (laughs) That's ruining the sermon. Everybody's going to be thinking about that for the next... But it's true, right? You fall for That's the bottomless. You understand? So you could throw in all the money you want. You could throw in all the sex you want. You could throw in all the pleasure you want. You could throw in all the building. Throw in a national force. Throw in an accomplishment. Throw in a promotion. Throw in a new job. Throw in a, throw in a wife. Hey, you don't like her? Get rid of her. Get another wife. You can throw in all this stuff. Keep throwing. The infinite cannot be filled by that which is finite. The infinite can only be filled by he who is infinite. Right? <laughs> Otherwise, you spend your life chasing after the wind. And God says, I'm it. I'm what Phil. He t- this is the first time we see God here in th- 324. He brings up God. I mean, we, we saw him in chapter one. He hints at it. But here, I think this is a turning point in the book of Ecclesiastes. And next week, we're going to come back, and we're going to dive more into that whole, he has put eternity in the hearts of men. But I just want you to see the turning point, the hope. There's nothing better for man to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I've seen even this is from God's hand. Here it is. Because who can eat? And who can enjoy life apart from him? But when he is at the center, suddenly these good things are reordered in our life, aren't they? Suddenly all these good things, like you can actually enjoy pleasure. You can actually have a, a fried chicken or a, or a fattened ox. And it doesn't, see, humans do this thing where if we get a good thing, Romans 1 says, the first thing we do is worship it. So we get money, and instead of God going, here, I'll bless you with money. This is a good thing. You help a lot of people. You can buy Nike shoes or, you know, whatever. Uh, instead, what do we do? We say, well, I've got to get this. This can provide security. This can do it. In fact, this can do it better than God. Really? You see? So here's the only hope you have. Put God at the center, and suddenly money doesn't control you, and other, the, all these things orbit around God, and good things can be enjoyed in good ways, right? We take food, and we worship it. We become gluttons, or we have an eating disorder, and we, you know, this is supposed to be God's good gift to the people. It's not supposed to be this, this crazy thing, that, right? But rightly ordered in all these things. He alone fills the groove. He is what your heart is searching for. And that is the message of Ecclesiastes in no uncertain terms. He's saying, I've been there, I've done that. And the thing you're looking for is not found under the sun. Who can eat? Who can enjoy life apart from him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're not gonna find what is fulfilling in finite things because of the infinite abyss without you. And I thank you that there are many, many people in this room who have known that from experience, and their hearts were restless, but they found rest in you. I thank you for the chance to worship this morning in the company of men and women who have found you to be the all in all. Forgive us, Lord, especially forgive those of us who know this truth to live as if we don't. God, we pray for anyone here who is still seeking to find meaning outside of you that today would be the day of their salvation. And instead, they would be filled up by you, you alone. We pray for the world that so desperately needs to hear a word of grace. They need to hear this word of love that you alone can fulfill. And we pray for this church to be empowered like a city on a hill, like a light that cannot be hidden, to be ready to give an answer for the hope that they have day in, day out, that they found what they're looking for in you. Guide us through this series on Ecclesiastes. Thank you, God, for the wisdom that this professor is pressing on us and asking us to dig deeper not be satisfied with simple, trite answers. And we pray for your grace through the rest of the series. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.